This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Hey folks, this is Dr. Jamar Tisby and welcome to the next installment of Those Meddling Kids Understanding the Anti-CRT Crusade in Christian Higher Ed. Why Those Meddling Kids? Well, of course, it's a play off of the Scooby-Doo cartoons. You remember those old cartoons where these young people would spend the whole episode trying to solve this mystery and at the end, when they figured it out, they would unmask the villain, unmask the culprit, and that person would inevitably say, and I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for those meddling kids. Well, just like in those cartoons, we have young people who are agitating for justice, young people who are who are trying to trouble the waters for uh, racial progress. And to the powers that be, they can appear sometimes like those meddling kids. Well, we are going to combat misinformation with accurate information. And to help us do that is my next guest, Catherine Stewart. Welcome to those meddling kids. It's so great to be here. I'm so happy to be here. Uh... Perhaps one of those meddling kids, too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so much of the good trouble that we need is coming from young people, but informed by experts like yourself. So will you give us a little bit of background in terms of your work and how you can help us understand this anti-CRT crusade? Sure. I've been writing about the religious right as a political force for over a dozen years. In 2012, I published a book called The Good News Club about the religious rights assault on public education. Uh, we can talk a little bit more about how the anti-CRT stuff fits in with that a little later. Um, and in 2020, I published uh, The Power Worshippers Inside the Dangerous Rise of Religious Nationalism, which is about um, uh, the religious right uh, more broadly. And I really got my start um, as an investigative journalist working for a wonderful fellow named Wayne Barrett at the Village Voice. He was an infamous muckraker who published the first investigative uh, biography of Donald Trump in 1992. Um, he actually published a lot of stories about corruption involving New York City's various government agencies and real estate interests. And you know, when I started working for him, I was really shy. I'm so lucky to have counted him as a mentor because he taught me to dig deeper, to follow the money, to go to the source, and to um, you know go into these rooms and uh, with powerful men and women and ask them the questions that they didn't want to be asked. Mm -hmm. And it was really great training. I learned that if a story needs to be told, you can be scared, but it, you should tell it anyway. Wow. Oh, man, I'm so inspired right now. And I am so excited for especially for our young people listening. Uh, Catherine Stewart is an example of a truth teller, somebody who um, tells the story, like you said, uh, ask the questions that people don't want to answer and tells the stories that need to be told. I really appreciate that. And we're going to get into that in a moment. Um, as we talk about this anti-CRT crusade, most of the folks I've been talking to in this series are not critical race theory scholars. And yet we've all had to sort of become students a little bit just to know what they're talking about and how they're getting it wrong. So what do you think is important for people to know about critical race theory? Well, this is an example of a manufactured controversy. I, mean, I think the first and foremost thing to know is that real CRT was never a part of primary or secondary education 
in the United States, but the religious right has used it and the political right have used it deliberately to stir up anxieties over kids, identity, race, and public education on all sides. You know, I, I uh, happen to know a public school second grade math teacher, uh, and he tells me he's regularly getting questions now from parents about whether he's indoctrinating kids with CRTs. He second teaches grade. second grade math. It's just wow. preposterous. I mean, he shows them the textbooks and the questions stop, but it shows that this anti-CRT hysteria has been very effective, politically speaking. And I think people like uh, the governor of uh, Virginia, for instance, Gary Youngkin, got elected in part because of the weaponization of CRT as an identity issue. So when you look at you know, the religious right, broadly speaking, it's a leadership-driven movement, and it has folks at these think tanks, like the Manhattan Institute, a conservative think tank. And there's a fellow there named Christopher Rufo. He's widely regarded as the architect of CR, this sort of anti-CRT front in the culture wars. It's kind of a new front in the culture wars for the religious right. So he said this on Twitter about his political opponents. He said, the goal is to have the public read something crazy in the newspaper and immediately think of critical race theory. We have decodified the term, meaning we've like, you know, delinked the term from what it actually means. And he said, and we will recodify it to annex the entire range of cultural constructions that are unpopular with Americans. So that shows that CRT is being deliberately and consciously exploited to tap into a range of these anxieties. And it um, this kind of um, manufactured controversy distracts people from the ways that the religious right is actually denying people other fundamental rights that you know, affect their lives in, in really profound ways, like the right to privacy, the right to access uh, reproductive uh, health care. I mean, let's not forget that, um, you know, there, many of these policies that the religious right is pushing are, are really unpopular with a wide range of majority of Americans, but, and they know that very well. So they're sort of shifting onto these new fronts in the culture wars, in my view, to distract from their unpopular policies and the failures and corruption of their political leaders. It's really helpful to hear you say, you know, this is a manufactured hysteria. And you get into that even more deeply in the book that you mentioned, which I highly recommend for folks, The Power Worshippers Inside the Dangerous Rise of Religious Nationalism. So um, let's dive deeper into this. What what does this anti-CRT crusade, as I'm calling it, have to do with religious nationalism or, or Christian nationalism? It has a lot to do with, first of all, the... Uh, the religious nationalist hostility, longstanding hostility to public education. That's um, a policy that uh, the religious right has pursued with uh, an incredible vigor. I mean, in um, 1979, Jerry Falwell made the agenda clear. He said, I hope to see the day when there are no more public schools, um, churches will have taken them over and Christians will be running them. This is a movement mm. that rides public education as they call them government schools. I mean, one of the reasons they hate public education has to do with the fact that it teaches kids how to get along with others uh, of different backgrounds, you know, and it also, um, you know, public schools neither affirm nor denigrate um, uh, any particular form of religion. There's a, supposed to be a separation of church and school so that 
uh, families of all faith backgrounds um, feel comfortable in them. They teach kids how to get along with kids of different racial backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, different economic backgrounds. And this somehow is um, really antithetical to the way the religious right wants to operate. It's a very kind of, um, you know, you're an insider, you're an outsider, you're pure versus impure. So there's that, that's a, a huge thing. And sort of pushing this anti-CRT stuff, it creates a lot of chaos in public schools uh, as it has created chaos for my second grade math teacher friend. Um, other school board members I've spoken with say now that their you know, school board meetings are overrun with angry parents sort of spouting this wild conspiracy stuff. And at times they've actually feared for their lives. And however, however that gets resolved, it creates the impression among many people that public schools simply don't work. And weakening support for public education is really gravy to both extremes of the right, the economic hard right and the religious right. So it's big money to the people who want the taxpayer to fund religious schools and right-wing charter schools so that they themselves can make huge profits and get the taxpayer to cover their costs. And it furs, you know, furthers the Christian right agenda of weakening and eliminating any influence on the education of the young that doesn't affirm or conform to their religious and right-wing political doctrines. And can I just say as an aside, um, I was a public school teacher. I was a sixth grade teacher and a middle school principal. My wife taught, my mom was a public school teacher. And uh, the first time I heard the term government schools was when I started seminary at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. And so it was these Christians who really looked at my wife and I like, you you actually worked in those places, like these places that are indoctrinating children with these horrible, evil, sinful ideas. And I was like, what are you talking about? Uh, so I started to get exposed to that, you know, sort of... Um, oppositional stance to public schools when I went deeper into these Christian circles. Now, you've kind of hinted at it, but I just want to hear you tease this out a bit more. What is this anti-CRT crusade, Christian nationalism stuff really about? Is it about culture? Is it about, um, is it about religion? Is it about something more, something else? It's about a longstanding war on um, on, uh, on, frankly, on the foundations of modern constitutional democracy. I mean, this has become, you know, often I think of the, the culture wars as these shiny baubles that uh, religious right leaders or Christian nationalist leaders dangle in front of the rank and file to get them to vote for the hyper-conservative candidates that the movement favors. But this is, uh, it's about obviously activating racial anxieties. It's uh, anxieties around schools and kids and uh, in many cases, religion. It's kind of a perfect storm. It gets everybody upset. So in a way, it's like a, a perfect, um, it's a perfect culture war issue for them. And, you know, um, if I think in order to really understand what it's about, we have to follow the money, right? So other journalists have made um, uh, some connections uh, reasonable inferences about funders of groups such as Moms for Liberty or Parents Defending Education. All of these groups are leading the attack on supposed CRT in public schools. Um, these journalists, I'm thinking about people like Catherine Joyce at Slade and Sarah Posner, another fantastic journalist. They've linked support, staffing, and funding to right-wing organizations such as Heritage Action, the Bradley Foundation, the Manhattan Institute, which Christopher Rufo works for, 
and the Thomas uh, W. Smith Foundation. And what they are is they're not just worried about uh, quote unquote CRT in public schools. They are also have links to um, the, the Republican Party. Um, so for instance, the, um, uh, a lady who is like very heavily involved in parents defending education um, was uh, uh, featured at a sort of uh, post uh, Youngkin Victory Education Summit. Uh, Moms for Liberty, another organization has chapters in 35 states and they appear to specialize in manufacturing this kind of outrage under the guise of parental empowerment. They have links to heritage and they're also tied into Florida Republican politics. Um, but here's the thing, uh, Jamara, I, in, in the past dozen years of doing the research that I do, I've attended dozens of right-wing conferences, strategy gatherings, activist uh, meetings. And one of the key ones that happens every year is called Road to Majority Conference. It's led by Ralph Reed. He's one of the most seasoned and I think politically astute um, leaders of the Christian nationalist movement at his events in the last two years, like you, you never heard about quote unquote CRT ever at these organizations. And all of a sudden you're hearing about it all the time. Speaker after speaker stood up and decried CRT as racist. They said it was, um, you know, um, uh, the, the, almost like the greatest threat to, um, to public education and to civil society. Um, and the interesting thing is he has, he can see the demographic future as clearly as you or I can. And he understands that if this movement remains all white, it is just not gonna have a hope of succeeding. So in recent years, he and other leaders have made a substantial effort to recruit faith leaders and community leaders of color to offer number one, an appearance of diversity to their movement, but they're also framing the messaging in ways that are going to appeal to a non-trivial number people of color. So a lot of the folks standing up and decrying critical race theory were actually black and Latino speakers at that conference. Now, never mind the fact that the Republican party's efforts to promote McCarthyist laws, restricting discussions of race and racism and other supposedly divisive conflicts in public schools is ahistorical. I mean, they're just banning books. They're, they wanna censor and whitewash our history. And that's ridiculous. It's, it's like, um, the definition of how racism works, right? Um, they, are, of course, are also very tolerant of Republican leadership's denigrating characterizations of people of color who, with whom they disagree. I mean, they're championing voter suppression and gerrymandering that disproportionately affects people of color and others in Democratic-leaning districts. Um, some Republican leaders are even supporting or courting um, uh, the sort of alliances with white supremacists. Yeah. But the fact is this messaging has presumably convinced some people, including those at these gatherings, that their party is on the side of equality and justice for all. And the other side is one that insists on characterizing everyone um, by the color of their skin. So there was a speaker at, I think it was a 2021 Road to Majority Conference. His name is uh, C.L. Bryant. He's a TV host, a right-wing guy and he said he said he had this anecdote about a long ago confrontation with his grandfather and he said that his grandfather told him I didn't go through all that I went through so you could be black I went through all that you went through so you could be free so wow. and that kind of messaging it's it's twisting 
what CRT is actually, what, what, you know, discussions of, I should say, what legitimate discussions of racism and structural racism, racial redlining, segregation and its consequences is twisting what all of that should really be about. But it's sort of like um, weaponizing CRT and twisting it yes. in order to tar those who want to um, really explore America's true history of of race and and segregation and its consequences um, it, with this sort of racist label. So right. it's very um, it's really twisted. <laughs> It is twisted. It's very, um, it, it, it's very savvy in its own way. Um, it, it, it shows up in my experience with things like, well, I thought we weren't supposed to talk about race, and now people who want to talk about race are the real racists, right? They've they've flipped the script, right? They've taken this construct which um, historically white people in power have created. And then weaponized it, used it to to um, oppress and marginalize all kinds of people. Then when those very same people groups speak out about it, they said, oh, no, 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 you're not supposed to talk about that. Right. Remember, we're not supposed to talk about race. It's 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 very, very convoluted. And and speaking to that convoluted nature, this session is talking about what I call the anti-CRT industrial complex. And the idea behind that, we've heard this industrial complex uh, lingo in other uh, spheres. The idea behind that is that it is a whole network of organizations and individuals, some of which you've mentioned. So just sort of broadly speaking, what like sectors of society or pieces of society are involved in this anti-CRT crusade? Well, the religious right, uh, the Christian nationalist movement is not just an ideology. It's also an organized quest for power. It's a political movement. And it has all of these different features that work together in this very coordinated way. I think of it as almost like a hive. So you've got right wing uh, policy groups like uh, the Family Research Council. You've got uh, think tanks like the Manhattan Institute and Heritage Action and Acton Institute. You've got legal advocacy organizations like the Alliance Defending Freedom or um, which has an annual operating budget, by the way, of over $100 million per year. Just that one organization, which is Whoa. amazing, just really high um, federal society, which plays an incredibly strong role in shaping the courts with uh, grooming and supporting candidates with the right sort of right-wing intellectual uh, ideas. You've got um, legislative initiatives. Um, you've got um, like, uh, you've got, um, <clears throat> <clears throat> sorry, um, <clears throat> a, a very sophisticated data initiatives. You've got networking organizations like the Council for National Policy, which serve to get the leadership of these different organizations on the same page. A lot of the leaders of these think tanks and legal advocacy organizations are members of the Council for National Policy. Then you've got a far-right messaging sphere. So all of this is working together to sort of pump out this sort of anti-CRT nonsense and then, I mean, we can just look at how effective it is. Um, in I think it was like November 2020, there was, I believe it was Media Matters did a study of uh, the sort of CRT. By November 2020, I think there were four mentions of, of um, something like anti-CRT, uh, of CRT, like in mm -hmm. the whole, you know, on, on Fox News. And right. by, um, by like three and a half months later, 
there had been thousands of mentions. So yeah. all of a sudden it sort of introduced, I mean, you can really see how coordinated the movement is when you look at in the introductions of these new fronts in the culture wars like CRT or like, for instance, some of the trans issues. I remember I was at a, a, a values voter summit several years ago, it's quite a few, maybe, maybe four years ago, with another annual major gathering of um, religious right leaders, activists, and strategists. And this one used to be held in Washington, DC. Now it's been rebranded as Pray Vote Stand, but back then was called the Values Voter Summit. And every single speaker got up and said, we need to talk about transgender bathrooms. And I just remember thinking, why? <laughs> but but right. apparently this they've done their polling. They've figured out what's going to tap into people's anxieties. They figured out the new shiny bobble they're going to get to to get people to vote for the right wing candidates that the movement favors. And uh, and then they're all in with it. And they 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 pump the, this out through their vast right wing messaging sphere and everybody gets on the same page. I mean, I think that we underestimate the strength of this movement at our peril. They're really coordinated. That's right. And I'm so glad you mentioned that it, this is a coordinated, strategic, well-funded effort. But those groups you mentioned, I've never heard of them. Like how can a normal everyday person with lives to live, especially like a college student, be clued into all of this and know what's going on at a deeper level. We don't see enough reporting. So we see a lot of reporting about the Supreme Court, right? But we don't see a lot of reporting about the Federalist Society, an organization that has played an, out, played an outsized role in shaping the courts. All six conservative justices on the Supreme Court are have current or former ties to the Federalist Society. And 90% of Trump's appellate court nom, um, uh, nominees had... Uh, also ties to the federal society. So this is an organization. So you don't hear a lot about the infrastructure of the Christian nationalist movement. I have to just very briefly plug my book. This is what I write about. Please do. Yes. I write about the network and how it works. Um, but beyond that, just, you know, always like just look, dig a little bit deeper and try and figure out where this stuff is coming from. I want to say something else about getting people to vote for these mm -hmm. right wing candidates, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a movement that claims to stand for family values. And they use this sort of idea, we're standing up for families and kids when they're pushing the sort of anti-CRST stuff, we're standing up for parents' rights. But the, the right-wing candidates that the movement favors aren't just going for these kinds of culture war policies, they're also going for hard right economic policies that are making it, they're intensifying economic inequality, um, low taxes or no taxes for the rich, minimal regulation of of business, no regulation of the environment, right? And um, and no rights for the workforce. So they're actually pushing policies that are intensifying um, economic inequality, making it so much harder for so many families to succeed and so much harder for so many young people to get a leg up in life. So I think that that's really where you know, a lot of the big funders of the movement, the funders who give their money to the to Heritage and who give their money to the Manhattan Institute, which, you know, which employs Christopher Rufo, those big funders, a lot of them are extremely wealthy. I write about a lot of the funders, too, in my book, like the Prince DeVos family, the, the Green family, the Wilkes brothers and sort of fracking billionaires and those folks who are funding the movement to a large degree they are as committed to right-wing positions on in economic policy 
as they are to these sort of so-called manufacturing, you know, like these culture war issues. And so I think a lot of them, again, see these, these uh, culture war issues as the shiny baubles. Let's just get the little people to, to grasp at these shiny baubles and get them all worried about race and identity. And meanwhile, we'll get the economic policies passed that we want to increase our fortunes. Just so happens. Follow the money, right? <laughs> yes. So also what I'm what I what I'm gonna plug here is professors, faculty, use Catherine's book in your class, do your yeah. book club, your reading on it because it has it's just loaded with with information that helps us trace this. I'm wondering, can you comment on how the heck this stuff ends up in Christian higher ed? What does it have to do with the anti-CRT crusade, fomenting this movement? Anything you can tell us around those lines? I mean, I can't really speak um, to higher ed. I will say that this CRT stuff is being pushed. I see it's pushed so hard at these right-wing conferences and throughout that I just see it as a kind of new, like a broad culture war um, mm -hmm. issue. I think it's uh, definitely, they're trying to um, react. I think it's part of a reaction to Black Lives Matter for sure. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of discussions of racism where they're saying, well, racism is terrible, but it's a sin problem. And the only um, effective response to sin is faith in Jesus. Right. So they're basically, it's a way of really sidestepping the issue of the human problem <laughs> of racism and, and, and the societal problem of structural racism. So... Okay, so it's it, you, you do focus on on K through twelve, which I think is another critical aspect here. It's like it's not it's not just politics, it's not just mass communication, it's not even just higher ed. It's also in K through twelve schools. Um, I'm just going to throw this out there, and you feel free to go where where you want with it. Um, Hillsdale College in Western Michigan is very similar in ethos to Grove City College in that they're sort of positioning themselves as, as a very fundamentalist institution. They produce something called uh, a 1776 curriculum, and they have um, an organization affiliated with them. I think it's a separate entity, but affiliated with them of uh, a charter school network. Now, the governor of Tennessee wants those schools in his state, and more recently, the governor of Florida wants that. So <laughs> tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. You know, uh, promoting these sort of charter schools with right-wing ideological underpinning is part of the movement's longstanding war on public ed education. It's not just that they're aiming for a single goal, it's that they have a complex set of overlapping aims, I would say that um, that this very much conforms to. I mean, one of the things they want to do uh, is, you know, the religious right, they're really agents of chaos in, in a lot of ways. It, there's a very nihilist extreme that runs through much uh, of the right. And what they want to do simply is destroy. They want to destroy public education. Uh, but they also want to get money for their initiatives. So um, the, uh, you know, I did an investigation at one point. Look, there are a lot of great charter schools out there but I looked at the eight, like 20 top charter networks when I was writing the Power Worshippers. I have a chapter about this. And the eight of the top 20 largest charter networks are run by people with very strong religious or right-wing ideological goals. So, um, and they're getting public funding for their initiatives. There's one charter operator in, um, in Arizona who 
devised like a four or five school charter group with sort of some all these sort of right wing ideological um, uh, underpinning in some of the education material. He sold it to a bunch of buddies. He made $11 million. I mean, it's a massive enrichment scheme for a lot of people. A lot of charters also involved in these um, real estate arrangements where they're buying the real estate and then they're establishing a charter school that they also own on the real estate. And then that mm. charter school pays them rent, which is actually public money. I mean, the charter um, uh, environment in our country is grotesquely underregulated. Um, it's a real patchwork of regulations. Some states have strong regulations. Some reg states have no regulations at all. But Hillsdale is a very um, right-wing institution. They have a, um, a, a publication called Imprimis. You can find it online. And they had actually a, a, um, a, a, an op-ed in, in Imprimis praising Vladimir Putin as like, you know, oh a strong leader. And, you know, he's not he's not woke and he's not, you know, a feminist and isn't this great, you know, this was a few years, a couple of years ago before, before, um, you know, uh, he invaded uh, Ukraine, obviously, but it kind of shows where they're thinking. Absolutely. Uh, where their thinking lies. You know, you have political leaders who want power and CRT has proved a very critical way of mobilizing um, um, that power for them, uh, mobilizing backlash to Black Lives Matter. And, and channeling that um, all of that stuff in ways that can deliver votes and power. And full disclosure, I worked in public charter schools in both Mississippi and Arkansas. I was very taken aback in Mississippi when you had right-wing Republicans championing school choices, they called it, or charter schools, because the schools I was in were in the low-income areas serving students and families that that had few other options. And so it didn't make sense to me that a political party that was so against kind of social support systems for these groups and demographics would be so excited about school choice and charter schools. But you're unpacking. It's 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 a very different motivation. It's complicated. I mean, there are wonderful charter schools out there, charter networks that I'm not anti-charter. I mean, I think there's some great charter operators that operate with transparency and really care about providing effective education, you know, good education for students. But the, the system is rife uh, with, um, there's there's a sort of patchwork of regulations and it, it does make it open to, um, to, uh, to exploitation. And it's interesting, the whole school choice thing. So for a long time, you know, you had people like Betsy DeVos championing vouchers, they yes. wanted, public funding for religious schools, because that's one of the longstanding goals of um, the movement. They uh, long, you know, really had a disdain for public education. And she introduced through her, you know, various initiatives, you know, measure after measure, she supported measure, uh, you know, voucher measure after voucher measure, they consistently failed. And at a certain point, she and her husband, um, who's also been very heavily involved in the Council for National Policy, they, they sort of flipped for school choice, which sort of allied the, sort of blurries the distinction between charter and vouchers. She was caught on, um, in an audio speaking to a group where she said, you know, her, their uh, interest in education, their activism and education was a means of advancing kingdom gain, you know, mm. they, which is, you know, you understand what that means. 
Yes. Uh, it's just the Christian nationalism is bleeding out through there, the religious overtones. And it's it strikes me as they want to essentially privatize public education and run it like they do big business and corporations. Like you mentioned at the top, lower, no taxes, very little regulation, quote unquote, free market principles mm -hmm. <laughs> operating in the public school sphere. So it, it, all of this information is just so critical for us. I think you are fundamentally in the business of truth telling. You know, all, all of this uh, sort of detective work is is exposing these truths that um, some would rather remain hidden. Put put yourself in the shoes of a college age student, eighteen to twenty two. How can they equip themselves? How might they even be proactive about truth telling at that age and stage in life? I think it's just really important to get your information from different sources, follow mm -hmm. the money, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, figure out who are the powerful people behind some of these initiatives and what do they really want? Just, just keep asking questions and, and dig a little deeper. It, it doesn't take much. I mean, this is a movement that's not hiding. They're like operating mm -hmm. in plain sight. They're very clear about what they want. You know, when they talk about hating our public schools and uh, many of them actually speak about, you know, they speak really disrespectfully about, democracy, they reject the principles of pluralism and equality yeah. that represent yeah. the best of the American promise. It's, it's not that they're hiding, it's that we're not listening, we're not paying attention. So. That's critical. And the flip side of it is, as I think of Christian colleges and universities, um, so these are not public schools, these are private, you know, um, sectarian institutions, being set up as um, these bastions and these bulwarks and these fortresses in the culture wars. And so just being cognizant that among a certain constituency, they want these schools to indoctrinate and inculcate and also to separate and exclude from what they consider the big, bad, evil world, right? Um, so I just think that's important. It's not that Christian colleges and universities in principle are bad, but we need to be cognizant and aware of these are run by human beings who have motivations and um, biases. So that's important to know. Um, and then there are also religious schools of all different backgrounds in our right. in our country. I mean, this is an incredibly religiously diverse country. Yes. And uh, look, the separation of church and state has really allowed religions to thrive in America. Um, but it's also ensured that, you know, to some degree, you know, we've maintain a certain kind of peace over time, yeah. even as so many other countries have been torn apart by sectarian division. So it's really a principle that, um, you know, if you look at those who are trying to sort of collapse the church and state into mm -hmm. one unit and, and create a kind of Christian nationalist, uh, have Christian nationalist goals for a nation, we have to understand that this is really fundamentally un-American. And, uh, and, and why would we want that? We have so many examples of countries uh, that are torn apart by religious wars. That's right. Now, were you were you into journalism as an undergrad? Uh, is that something you came into later in life? I always loved writing, and I was always fascinated by history. Nice. So, um, you know, if you're interested in history and you love to write, you know, at some point, 
you'll be pointed and you may be pointed in that direction. That's right. That's right. I, when I was an undergrad, I majored in American studies and um, it was it, my two great passions were, were history and, and journalism within that. And I think there's just this very tight link between the two. So just speaking to, to the young folks out there, uh, journalism is a, a great uh, and much needed a profession in a democracy and learn your history because that's going to inform so much of what you do. Tell us what you're working on these days and also how people can keep this conversation with you going, how they can stay in touch. Oh, thank you so much. Well, the Power Worshippers came out recently in paperback um, yes. on Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is Kath S. Stewart. There's two S's in there. And um, I just continue to work on various articles. I had a piece um, most recently, I think in the New York Times, titled uh, something like why Christian nationalists are excited about what comes next. And it's really about um, their agenda post Dobbs and post, you know, after this recent spate of Supreme Court decisions, um, what they're excited about and what their aims are going forward. And so I'm working on a couple of fresh pieces that will come out at some point and, um, continue to, you know, I've fallen down this rabbit hole and, you know, I, I sort of, there's <laughs> so much going on that I can't get right. out. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm grateful. Uh, the knowledge that you're bringing to bear is chilling, but it's also motivating uh, for us to, to listen, to ask questions and to take action. Thank you so much for joining us on Those Meddling Kids. Thank you so much for having me. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.